Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Hockey Talk. Uh, your usual trio is in studio tonight. Paul Hillier here along with Steve Fitzsimmons and Andy Clark. And, uh, guys, it's been another interesting week in the, in the world of hockey. And, uh, Andy, uh, well, you, you've, you've done it again. Uh, I got us another great guest for this week uh, to chat with us a little bit about his uh, life and terms in hockey. Uh, tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, we have with us a Concordia native, uh, Scotty McKay, who uh, was a trainer for a bit more than 10 years with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Runs a really interesting uh, business called Pro Hockey Experience, uh, which I look forward to asking some about. And uh, works with uh, the NHL Alumni Association and uh, has been involved with some great causes like uh, Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer and all sorts of great things. So, yeah, uh, let's bring them on and uh, get down to it. Welcome to the show, Scott. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. How are you? We're we're good. It's uh, it's uh, been a bit of a, a roller coaster of a spring for us up here, and uh, I'm sure things are just as peachy down where you are. Yeah, you're a great yeah. Bruce guy, but uh, wh- where are you at right now? Uh, I'm in. Uh, I'm actually at the NHL alumni offices here in uh, Tobacco, Ontario, Toronto. So uh, yeah, everything's good. So Scott, uh, I want to ask you. Uh, you're you're from Kincardine, Ontario. How does a guy from Concordia, Ontario, end up the trainer for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Maybe walk us through your path to, to get down to, to that position. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a little bit of luck. I've always been involved in hockey. I actually played a little bit of junior in the area there. And uh, um, when I came to Toronto, I was going to school, and I worked at Maple Leaf Gardens. And back then, no matter what job came up, if they knew you were a good guy at Maple Leaf Gardens, very small, uh, small community there, much like our town's. And, um, you know, if a good job came up, they knew you were a good guy, um, your, your name got thrown in the hat. And because I had hockey experience, uh, I kind of walked into the job, believe it or not. So uh, when you said you played a bit of junior in this area, was that with, uh, I guess, the precursor of the Kincardine Bulldogs? Was, uh, was it the Kincardine Canadians or Canucks? No, no uh, the Kincardine didn't even have a team. So um, actually, I played a little, a little bit in Port Elgin. Um, Bingham Ironman, and uh, I think I played summer hockey actually in Hanover for the Barons for their summer hockey team. So back then they were a pretty good team, so I wasn't good enough to make the actual team, but um, did play against them. Well, there you go. Wasn't good enough for the Hanover Barons, but uh, on one night, we'll talk about it a bit later, you were good enough for the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> yeah, 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 we'll get to that later, but uh, yeah, it definitely was. Nice. Um, so uh, you got your hat thrown in the ring. So did you start as an assistant trainer, or, or did you take other positions on the way? No. So uh, basically I started out, um, I was always considered considered an assistant trainer, and, uh, you know, low man totem pole, so I did a lot of things, uh, you know, picking up garbage, stuff like that, cleaning washrooms, but eventually you work your way up, and then, you know, you just, uh, you know, you pay your dues, just like a small-town uh, job, and, and eventually you find yourself rising to the top. Now, I guess you, you've done an awful lot uh, over the course of your life with the, with the world of hockey, um, including something to do with the World Cup of Hockey back a couple yeah. of years ago. Uh, you were, uh, I guess, running the facilities manager for that tournament. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that and how that, what that experience was like. So in 2004, I believe there was a lockout. I was still with the Maple Leafs. Um, I... I I ran all the dressing rooms um, for the World Cup of Hockey, and including working in Team Canada's. And then, um, uh, and then this year's or two years ago, the World Cup, 
um, I believe it was, what, 2016, 2015? Um, anyways, I was facilities coordinator, which meant we had all eight teams here. Um, I coordinated three rinks, all the dressing rooms, all the staff, uh, two games a day for the first week and a half. That was pretty busy, and then we went down to one game per day. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I basically did all the logistics in and outs, and uh, basically we had four dressing rooms in the Air Canada Centre considered NHL uh, eligible, which there's only two. So we had to build one, and we use, a, we use the uh, NBA Raptors room. So that was pretty interesting, and, and basically had to move teams in and out for, um, you know, every day. So that, that was a very big job. So that was the latest and greatest. Uh, when you were setting up the the dressing rooms for the players, as far as like the materials, was it pretty much uh, one size fits all for every team, or did some of the different nations have uh, sort of different requests as far as uh, what you had to set up for them? Uh, you, know, you know what they all they all pretty much we just went off NHL specifications, which is you know like uh, four glove dryers per team or two big ones, uh, you know stuff like Gatorade, of course. Uh, um, you know, um, just, just standard stuff, stick tools, stuff like that. Um, you know, pretty, pretty standard stuff. Again, NHL standard stuff, which includes stereos, towels, all the toiletry, stuff like that, uh, tape, medical supplies. So it wasn't too hard to, we just had to make sure, uh, every team was equal and no team got more, including team Canada. And you didn't have to, you know, come up with strudel or something for uh, the German team or anything? Uh, no, we did supply meals. Uh, <laughs> meals meals were um, upon request, so if a team requested strudel, we could get it in, but um, if they didn't, you know, we just we just got them pretty simple stuff like pasta and stuff like that, but uh, no, no, it was pretty, it was a good experience. Um, a little stressful at times. You could imagine two games per day. Um, NHL caliber moving teams in and out with uh, one loading dock was pretty interesting. As a an OHL broadcaster with the Guelph Storm for the last 17 years, I have a, mm-hmm. a very acute sense of the commitment level required um, to be a trainer, an equipment manager, um, an assistant to to look after all of the needs of of a yep. hockey team. And I'm imagining if if you're doing that for Leafs Nation, it's uh, you know probably multiplied by two or three, and and the hours involved. Can you kind of take us through maybe what a typical day would maybe look like for Scott McKay? Well, sure. Um, in the old days, you know, I'd show up to the rink by eight o'clock. Usually, you know, OHL, AHL, NHL, you you normally. Uh, First guy in puts coffee on, which is a big duty. Um, you know, do that. Then you, you know, do a couple tasks that you need to get done. I usually try and have as much done um, the day before as I could. Therefore, you know, leave yourself room for emergency stuff like that. Um, you know, morning skate after laundry. Um, you know, it was kind of uh, uh, take care of things as they come. You might have some more repairs due in the afternoon. And then, you know, I like to stay at the rink on game day because a lot of the times you'd uh, be throwing a few curveballs. And then most of the guys started showing up around, you know, 4 o'clock for a 7 o'clock game. And by then, everything was done. And, you know, the game uh, the game went as uh, as planned usually. But depending if, it, you know, there was no uh, hiccups, which could mean a guy's skate getting fixed, a guy getting cut, stuff like that. Um, so that was that was about the normal game day. I pretty well planned for about a, you know, 14, 
15, 16 hour day on game day. So a long day. And, and of course, uh, it's a real uh, sacrifice with family members as well with that kind of commitment level. And uh, I know people behind the scenes that with your family, you know, obviously had to be very supportive of, of, of you having that role as well. Oh, definitely, definitely. Family members, you know, you see, you see guys bring their family out uh, when they win the Stanley Cup. Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, people might be wondering why, why is that guy's kid out in the ice? But uh, people forget that the, uh, not unlike a big job that most people carry, um, your family is a big part of it. If they're not supporting you, you don't have much, you know. Um, the first people to see you in the morning, the last people to see you at night are usually your family. So you've got to treat them well. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, in passing there a few minutes ago about the glove dryers, and that just kind of reminded me of uh, you have a promotional video uh, online. It's available through YouTube. That's uh, for your uh, hockey uh, to conquer cancer. But at any rate, in that uh, Ty Domi uh, kind of razzes Matt Sundin a little bit, and I believe he says, "Oh yeah, for every game he had three pairs of gloves, and uh, he had Scotty <laughs> trying them nonstop." So, oh yeah, oh yeah. Was Matt's Matt, really high maintenance? Matt would or? actually take his gloves off from the bench and blow on his hands. <laughs> so usually when I saw him doing that, I meant get him dry gloves. So he might have even had uh, four or five pairs going. Forget about the three. But Matt's, Matt's. You know what the great thing about Matt's is? He, he was a little bit of high maintenance, but he always <laughs> appreciated everything. Never talked to you badly, and you know. Um, in the heat of battle, you can't, you can't, you know, you can't get on guys for, you know, not saying please and thank you. You just got to do your job. And then after he was the first guy to come up and give you a hug and, and never forget you were part of his success. So I had no issues with a guy like that. Yeah. So I'm just trying to figure was that, you know, sometimes athletes kind of have their thing and was that just his thing or did he have the world's sweatiest hands? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I guess he was so... I, you know what, Matt's, I think his game was so finely tuned that, you know, he, he uh, he's a rare breed. Like, there's a reason why he's a captain for the Toronto Maple Leafs for 15, 16 years. And it's just uh, guys like that are so finely tuned. If their hands are wet, it gets in their head. And, uh, you know what, if I can help a guy out like that, and especially if they really appreciate it, that's that's what I did and that's what I was there for, right? Absolutely. And you obviously made a, a huge impression on a lot of of people that you worked with over the years, and one of those people being Ty Domi, who mentions you throughout his book Shift Work with a lot of different stories. And uh, maybe right. tell us about uh, your relationship with Ty Domi. Well, I, I attribute Ty to uh, you know Pitbull. Um, a Pitbull meaning I love, they're beautiful dogs. Great. Ty's a beautiful guy. I love him. But uh, if you're on their bad side, look out. Like he uh, he's been known to bite a few people's heads off, including <laughs> opponents. Um, but but if he, he if you're loyal to him he's loyal to you and and you know our friendship goes on to this day and you know I, I can I confide in him a lot and he confides in me a lot and he's just one of those guys like like I said he's like a I hate to compare him to a dog but he's very loyal if you're loyal to him he's loyal to you to you know to life's end so I I really appreciate guys like that and you know he's he's a little bit old school too he's from a small town. Um, just outside of Windsor, and uh, you know, I'm a, I'm from a small town, obviously, and as as you guys are located in one, and I, I appreciate people like that. Uh, one of the anecdotes he does mention in shift work uh, was sadly uh, was talking about a Wade Belak's funeral in Nashville. Yep. And yep. Uh, tell us a little bit about that experience. 
Oh boy. Well, uh, that was, that was obviously a tragic situation. And, um, one of the things I'll remember for the rest of my life, uh, you know, life's full of good, bad, and ugly, hopefully more of, uh, good than bad and ugly. But that was, that was definitely one of the situations where I con- considered ugly. Uh, Wade was a good friend of mine and, um, you know, uh, we heard about what happened to him and it was, uh, obviously very touching even though i even you know he was playing for another team or at that time he was broadcasting probably had a good probably one of the best points of his life and you know it was very sudden um mental health issues but uh anyways yeah it was it was a lot of it made you see really who your friends were because um there was not too many guys from you know waited put his you know, put his butt in the line for a lot of guys with the Maple Leafs, and there were not a lot of guys at the at the funeral from those days, and that was that was pretty disappointing. But um, to make a long story short, we're sitting at a table, and and Ty was you know asking me where is this guy, where is that guy. I said I don't know. He started calling them on the phone and asking them where they were, and gave them each trouble for not being there. So that that shows you what kind of guy Ty Domi is, and you know, and I think. I think I think in today's world, world we can use more guys like that. Um, you know, hopefully that's a good uh, that's a good synopsis of a guy like Ty Domi for you guys. Yeah, yeah Ty, much. Yeah. Ty's definitely a, a, cl- a class act all around. I mean, we've seen him for years, and uh, it's pretty easy to see what he's like. He's quite a character yeah. guy, actually, and you, you know that, Scott, as well as I do. I've met Ty a number of times when uh, mm-hmm. Max was playing for the London Knights, had a few conversations, had one with him and Matt Sundin, who came to see Max, and uh, he's quite a guy. Yeah, yeah, and I was at that, uh, I was, uh, I think that was, uh, that was uh, Max's, uh, was that not the, uh, uh, it was a big tournament in uh, London there. The Memorial Cup, was that not right. when Matt's came mm-hmm. to see him play? Yes, it is. Yeah, I was actually there, but I stayed outside because we didn't have enough tickets, so I stood outside with my friends. But, um, no, the, Ty's a great guy and well-respected amongst the amongst the NHL group. And, you know, if you're on Ty's bad side, it's not life's not very good. If you're on his good side, life is good. So Another, another anecdote uh, he mentioned in passing uh, in his book regarding you was uh, that when he had his hand injured in the playoffs yeah. at one point, you had to tie his skates for him. <laughs> and I, I just it? wondered how much teasing yeah. did he take over that? Oh, boy. Well, you know what? I think, believe it or not, a lot of guys didn't say much to him because they knew how hurt he was. Like, his hands were pretty much mush at that point. And uh, they brought a couple guys in to try and do Ty's job, and they just couldn't. The guy was great at his job. There's a reason why he's got 333 NHL major fights, which is a record that will never be broken. But, uh, yeah, at, at that point, uh, like, guys didn't say much because they knew how bad he was. And uh, I, I was probably more embarrassed than anybody else because I felt like it was time my kids skates. Um, but, no, we got her done. That's all that counted. It's, it's, it's what had to be done, eh? Yeah. Well, well let's, let's touch on, on, on a good in, in the good, bad, and ugly story now. And, uh on one night you're sitting at home and uh you get a phone call and uh all of a sudden you're racing out the door to head down to the to the Air Canada Center I guess it would have been at that time and uh tell us a little bit about your your night on the, on the bench serving as the backup. Well that was pretty exciting. Um it was against you know the Leafs were getting bombed that night they're playing Philly to be exact. I think I think it was 2013 and uh Jonas Gustafsson was a starter and uh a buddy of mine works for the NHL 
Um, I was at home. I had, we had, uh, I believe they're four year old then. My kids are 10 now. So, um, anyways, uh, no time to do math on your show, but, uh, <laughs> I want to say they're four or five, but, uh, yeah, that would make sense. They're five cause it's 2018 now. So, but, um, so I'm sitting at home, had the kids and I got a text from a buddy of mine that works for the NHL saying, Gustafson just went down the warm up." can you get down here with your gear? And I'm like, yeah, okay. You can imagine what I said to him. Like, <laughs> are you serious? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically not, maybe not that, but so then, then all of a sudden he's like, you're going to be getting seriously, you're going to be getting a call from the Leafs. So, um, sure enough, I did. And, uh, you know, the, the conversation went, yeah, what are you up to? Can you get down here with your equipment? And I did not say I was at home alone with the kids. And I did not say that, you know, I was making dinner or, or had a glass of wine. So, um, I basically said, no problem. I'll be there. And, uh, I phoned my neighbor up. Thank God. She went, came and babysat me, my kids and another neighbor came, picked me up and I'll never forget. This It was a kind of funny moment in my mind. Like I came downstairs and I can't remember. I think I had a pair of jeans on and a t-shirt and I came running down the stairs or, and, uh, basically handed him my gear and he said, well, you can't go like that. I went, what are you talking about? He said, you want to play in the NHL, you better put some dress clothes on. So, which I did, I ran back upstairs and put a nice pair of pants on a shirt and, uh, you know, and a jacket and, uh, away we went. I think it's probably the quickest drive I've had to the, uh, Air Canada Center in a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And of course, uh, had you been playing in that game, you would have been playing with some people that you know incredibly well and had worked with, uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, I would imagine they were a little surprised maybe to see you in that role. Uh, you know what? Yes and no. Cause I'll, you know, I, I practiced even, even to the time, even after I left the team, I still, they still called me in for some practices, which meant I could, I guess I had some game. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna brag and say I didn't or I did, but, uh, yeah, I, I could still, I still felt I was, you know, I was still at the point where I could probably do okay if I got thrown in net then. Um, so, no, it was, it was kind of a bittersweet situation. Uh, I went into the dressing room. Yeah, the boys were, you know, kind of um, surprised to see me. But at the same time, they had my jersey ready for me. I'm number 73. Um, number one in your heart, number 73 in your program. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty cool. Like, I'll never forget it. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, it was one of those moments that sticks out in my mind of will forever. Do you still have the jersey? I do. I do. Uh, I sold the jersey and contract and uh, game sheet. I'm yet, I've yet to get a frame, but I will one day, and I'm, I'll be pretty proud of it. And, Scott, what, did they pay They pay you, what, 500 bucks for that, I think? or You know what? I didn't receive anything. Okay. Um, I, think, I think somebody tried to work it out for me. Average, average salary, I believe, was 780000 780000 then. Or, and, uh, you know, so you work... Uh, you work one game into the seven hundred and eighty thousand. I think it comes out to maybe, I don't know. I want to say eighty five hundred or something like that. Again, I'm not a mathematician, but <laughs> would have been a nice paycheck. It uh, would have been indeed. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I I believe the Leafs. Like I know at one point they used to have an arrangement with like uh, York University and University of Toronto uh, goalies. Uh, I was just curious why why were they not available or were you well, just the better option? Yeah, it was a better option at that point, I think, uh, or I tell myself, or I tell <laughs> other um, No, I, I, um, the Marlies were definitely out of town, and 
not sure what was going on with U of T, but just basically we need a guy down here like in a, an emergency, you know, pinch or at bat. So, you know, I answered the bell and got down there first. So I guess I was a guy. And was there any moments in that game where uh, it looked like it, it was uh, Rinus, was it, uh, ended up playing? UC Rinius, yeah, UC finished Rinius. guy. He did end up playing, and so I was in the dress. I was in the dressing room, and then they asked me to come on the bench. And I think it was five two, and then it became six two. And I'll never forget Mike Camilleri or uh, Mike Commissaric, sorry, who I knew. He's like, "Do you want some water?" And I, when it was six two, and I'm like, "No, I'm good." And then seven two, he said, "Well, you better have a power bar." <laughs> stretching. At that point, I was like, "Oh boy," so. It probably still ranks up there as one of the fastest times from getting into the dressing room and being dressed and ready to get on the ice in history because you oh, probably absolutely. had to do it in five absolutely. minutes. And signing a contract, too. Don't forget that. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, pretty, uh, it was pretty interesting. Like. Yeah. And, what, and what a great experience that would have been. I mean, I, got, I was fortunate enough that when I played in my youth, I got to play at Maple Leaf Gardens four or five times uh, playing oh, yeah. in the Toronto League. And there, there's nothing like being out on the, on the ice watching the crowds have it overhead and I, I def, uh, I'm still a little bit envious of the guys that actually made it to the NHL to this day because it is a great experience. Well, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like that's as a, you know, as a hockey player or, or as any player, I mean, that's a, that's a Mecca hockey. So yeah, that's a, that's a huge honor for anybody, you know, no matter what level, like, you know, it's, that's, that's the place you want to be or always dreamt of being. So uh, speaking of uh, the pro hockey experience and uh, living the dreams, uh, so for over 10 years, you've had a business called Pro Hockey Experience, and you've tapped into a lot of your relationships where uh, people can get together and hobnob with the likes of Marcel Dion and, and uh, Matt Sundin and Ty Domi right. and so forth and so on. Tell us a bit about the business and uh, what's going on with it. So basically, it's a, it's a fantasy camp for adults uh, or an experience, and it it allows people to do exactly what we talked about, come play with their heroes or, you know. Um, yeah, so that's that's basically what it was. You know, come get the professional experience. Um, how, how long do the camps or how long does the experience usually last? You know, honestly, I, I, uh, I haven't done one probably in about three or four years, but Matt Sundin has an experience coming up in Toronto um, June 8th, 9th, and 10th for the weekend. But the ones I did lasted a week. A full week? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Ge- geographically, where, where are they always in Toronto, or have you moved them around a bit? Um, we did, I did mine in Niagara Falls. This one's in Toronto, and I think we're going to do one in Florida this year under the alumni banner. The alumni banner, that's fantastic. NHL alumni banner, yeah, right. And uh, now I know fans look at your uh, pro hockey experience, uh, the Facebook page, or you can also find it on our uh, Twitter account, at Hockey Talk 913. If you look at some of those team photos from the experiences, uh, it's just stocked with huge name NHLers. So uh, tell us a little bit about what it takes to bring those people together and and what what is that like? What kind of stuff do people experience? Well, it's a lot of coordinating, you know, and... and, uh um, you know, we've, we've had people come from the U.S., California, everywhere, um, Western Canada. But we just, my biggest thing, you know, because I've been there, was to make it as much like a professional environment as possible. So, you know, regular Joes um, or regular guys, regular girls uh, came in to experience a pro experience, uh, hence the pro hockey experience name, and uh, just came in and just lived the pro life for a week. That's that's 
that's it in a nutshell, the Coles Knoll version. So when someone signs up for this, do you have to sort of vet their background hockey ability or are you just letting them judge for themselves that if they're paying the money to be there, they, they must be able to skate and shoot a little bit? Oh, exactly. exactly. And, and, and when you get old, you know, we know guys as we get older, like um, it doesn't, the good hockey players will help out the, the hockey players that weren't. So, you know, like the pros always controlled the game. So, you know, even if you were a hot shot, you come in and, you know, the pros get a feeling for the game, so they would kind of shut you down in a sense. But uh, w- what I liked is it didn't matter skill level. Everybody always kind of fit in um, just because, you know, they were they were part of this program, and, and the pros always made them fit in. So they would, you know, Matt Sundini coming down and you center ice and he'd see out front of that and put a pass right in your stick that your grandmother could tap in so just great stuff like that going on and we just made sure more it was an experience as opposed to playing with um actual pro hockey guys i know uh having seen a lot of the nhl alumni games even some of those guys that are well on like i remember seeing uh, i believe it was del vecchio when i don't know how far into his 60s was he was and he could still skate and some of those guys that are like 25 years out of the NHL, how they can just, you know, with your average rec, rec league players, they just are so far above, even though they're 25 years out of the league, they can just control the puck, the play, pass it where they want, skate where they want. You know, a guy right. like Rick Vive can just pick his corner and basically put it in whenever he wants, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the skill level in these guys is unbelievable. Um, yeah, it, it's these, even though they get older, they're still, there's something there that, you know, they might be slower, but there's still the skill level there. So, yeah, it's just it's cool for, you know, guys like us that all think we can play, and then you get in the ice with these guys, and you're like, I never could play. So, <laughs> yeah, I remember watching one of these events up in Owen Sound, and it was uh, it was Gary Lehman, and this was just a few years ago, so he's yeah. quite long out of the league, and they did a little skills experience with a bunch of. Uh, it was uh, police officers and such. So there's a fellow there that would have been a very good rec league player, and they did the pylon race. And Gary Lehman went down, and he actually did a couple extra laps around the end <laughs> pylon, and he skate. He came back on the return trip. He skated backwards, and the other guy was giving it everything he had, and Lehman still beat him by about three strides. And I was oh, like, yeah. wow, that goes to show you right there the difference between an average skater and an NHL skater right there. No, completely. No, that's a great example, like... Yeah, all these guys, again, they made it to the NHL for something, and it's not usually, uh, you know, um, from lack of skill. So, Scott, we have to take a commercial break. Uh, can you stick with us on the other side? Yeah, sure can. Okay, so we're going to take a break. We'll be back with more with Scott McKay on Hockey Talk. Yep, in Hanover, you know, we have time on our hands sometimes, so yeah, we make sure we're yeah, thorough. Hey, wow. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you're listening to Hockey Talk on Blue Water Radio, 91.3 FM. And some of you are watching it on Eastlink TV, perhaps in high def on 610, or maybe you're watching it on demand, which is available to Eastlink customers, subscri- subscribers all across Canada. And here we're talking to a uh, Concordant native and uh, one-time Leafs uh, trainer and uh, Leaf goalie for a day, which we talked about recently. And uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, your Harley Davidson. Uh, yes. Holy cow, you guys are doing your homework here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yup, in Hanover, you know, we have time on our hands sometimes, so yeah, we make sure we're yeah, thorough. Hey, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, nice looking bike there. Uh, I know it was from a blog from a photographer. Uh, his name's eluding me there. If you could fill in the name, that would. Jeremy Sale. Yes, yeah, yeah Jeremy yeah. Sale. And I happened to notice in one of the taglines, it was a fairly well named, uh, a well known person you bought the bike from. Yeah, so my 40th birthday, I, I wanted a Harley, as as most 40 40 year olds do, going through a midlife crisis, <laughs> or, you know, or just always wanting one. But anyways, I, I happened to be speaking a good friend of mine, Curtis Joseph, so we were talking, and I was going to spend some money on it, and he said, well, why don't you just buy mine? So I did, and, uh, you know, um, probably one of the best purchases I ever made. It's a beautiful bike. Um, you know, obviously, Curtis and I worked out a pretty good deal for both of us, and, um, you know, I rode it in the city for four or five years, and I just got, you know, I don't... Everybody's been to the city lately, and the traffic here is not good. So um, I think last summer I brought it up to King Carden. I store it at my brother's now, and I ride. I like to ride around Bruce County and, you know, the area um, when I'm there. Just, uh, you know, it's much more, uh, you know, two-lane highways are better than four-lane highways or eight-lane highways, depending on the way you look at it. So if you're up in beach country there, uh, and if you see, uh, I believe it's mostly uh, canary yellow, the Harley? Yeah, yellow and black. Yeah, you don't have to pick me off. I don't want the OPP. Hopefully there's no OPP guys listening to this, but yeah. Uh, nice. So we'll know who uh, who's driving that canary yellow and black Harley there. Um, now, yeah. did, did Cujo have a bunch of them, or was that his one no, and only? No, he just had one. And uh, it's, it's funny. We had we had done something called the, uh, oh, Jesus, a hockey tournament. The name's eluding me right now, but... Um, we, so he was on the winning team. I was uh, on the winning training staff. They won Harleys, and I think we won two hundred bucks. So um, <laughs> good for them. It was kind of a you know it was kind of good to ride that thing. It's it's a great bike, beautiful bike. Scott, we've seen the resurgence of the Toronto Maple Leafs here in the last couple of years, maybe ahead yeah. of their schedule. And uh, you were in the heart of Leafs Nation for a lot of years. Can you give us a perspective of what you think it would be like should the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Cup? Is it going to be beyond anything we've ever seen for celebrations in sports? Oh, my gosh. I think I always said that if I, if I ever won a Cup here, which I was hoping to do during my time in Toronto, I, that I would have just been done after that because I still think I'd be drunk to this day. But <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't think we ever, if the Leafs do win, I hope they do soon. Um, you know, I don't think we'll ever see anything like that to that magnitude. Yeah, at least in in southern Ontario, if you want to call it that. Anyways, like I know Detroit's one. You know, that's obviously not a Canadian team. Um, you know, maybe Winnipeg, but I think if they wanted Toronto, like you know, the Leafs Nation is is huge without without the Maple Leafs winning. Like to me, a first round uh, exit is a failure. And even making the playoffs, everybody's like, wow, the Leafs are doing great. No, that's a failure. They yeah. did not make it out of the first round. Failure. Um, well, the bar is pretty but, low, you know. that's the, that we've, that? we've had the bar pretty low for a long time. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And that's the thing that takes me off about Toronto. I think, you know, if we got a little bit of, little bit of a Montreal attitude where my dad's from, um, he actually lived in Toronto for one year and then moved to Montreal after his first year. And, you know, I always talk to him about it. I'm like, if, if the, Leafs, the Leafs fielded the team, or if Montreal fielded the team the Leafs did, guess what? People wouldn't go. Yeah. Right? But here, it's always packed. So 
we have that luxury and also it, it just breeds mediocrity here in Toronto. So I don't necessarily agree with, um, uh, should I say a Toronto fans, but uh, I guess to answer your question, if yeah, if the Leafs did win here, it'd be, it'd be insane. It'd be, be a nut show for probably two years. So they would buy themselves a two-year ticket to, to do absolutely nothing. And if they didn't make the playoffs, people probably wouldn't even notice. That's true. And I've, I've said for two years now that the Leafs now, since they have all this young offensive talent, are, are one Drew Doughty away from being Stanley Cup contenders. And I still say that to this day, and I'm still hoping for it to happen, but uh, we'll see how it goes over the summer. Yeah, certainly there's uh, a... I, I agree with you there. I don't necessarily... Uh, I got. I have my own opinions about that. I don't necessarily want to voice them on, on uh, national... Uh, Broadcasting or international, whatever we're on here, but um, <laughs> no, but yeah, you know, I think they're in a good spot right now. They have a lot of young talent, and uh, yes, they're they're a very good team. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, take some time and shine a light on your work as a board member for uh, Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer. I've right. uh, been involved with them for a number of years, and I know it's a very mm. important issue issue for you. Tell us a bit about that that experience. I think in yeah, back in. 2013 or whatever, I was diagnosed with cancer and um, uh, multiple myeloma to be exact. But uh, after, obviously, it's kind of close to my heart and a lot of my friends and family jumped on board. And, uh, you know, it's always always been close to me. Um, I feel I can make a difference, especially in the hockey world, to get guys uh, to help out. And, you know, it's been, I think it's been a pretty good climb for, uh, the road hockey to conquer cancer having having us involved, especially um, you know you get hockey people involved in something that's close to their heart, and they tend to take it further than than any other groups would. Like you know we're all small town guys. Um, we realize you know I think there's you know good, bad, and the ugly again in in a small town. Um, everybody knows about it, so you know you you know my. Unfortunately, my mom passed away 10 years ago in King Card, and uh, the whole community got behind it. I was shocked and and uh, touched by the, by the reception we got, by the reception my mom got, who was a King Card native, and and um, you know I, I don't think you can replace that anywhere else other than a small town. Um, and to add some stats to that, yeah, in 2013. Uh, with the with the help, uh, you brought in quite a few notables there, and there were huge events. Yep. Um, Two point three million dollars were raised for the Princess Margaret Hospital, which right. is just amazing, and that's incredible. Uh, the road hockey coming together and, and people for a good cause, uh, uh, being able to contribute that much. Actually, there's I saw there was uh, on YouTube again there was a video there kind of summarizing it a bit, and the master of ceremonies was uh, Kevin Shea. Who, uh, he's been on our show several times. He's, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. friend of uh, Hockey Talk here, works with the Hockey Hall of Fame, great writer. And uh, he, he particularly was drawing attention to you for uh, helping make it such a big success. So so good on you and keep up the good work. Yeah, and I attribute that nothing to being a, you know, a small-town guy in a, in a big network. Like, you know, people, small-town people get trusted. Uh, most of their beliefs are good. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm proud of where I came from and proud of what I've done. And, you know, I attribute a lot of it from being uh, from the King Card and, and actually in the area, you know. I guess I'd include Hanover in that. 
Nice. You know, we used to whoop you guys in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've heard that story a few times before. Yep. <laughs> um, Scott, I know you're involved with the NHL alumni, and I've mm-hmm. uh, been involved in running a game with them on behalf of a local minor hockey organization. And yeah. and they do a lot of good work across the province and, and the country at large. And, uh, uh, you know, just uh, tell us about uh, just that experience working with them and uh, and all the good that that's, is going on with, uh, with uh, the Alumni Association. Yeah, so uh, I guess in I guess in the summer of uh, 2017, my good friend and I guess teammate and uh, a guy that's been concarding a few, uh, quite a few times, NHL Stanley Cup winner Glenn Healy, um, he 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 got took a position as the executive director, so of the NHL alumni. So all of a sudden I get a call. I heard read about this, and then two days later I get a call from Glenn. Listen, I want you to be on my team. You're going to be making the same as me for a couple months, which he hadn't uh, straightened out his contract. I said, how much? Great. How much is that? (laughs) Nothing. I said, okay, I'm on board. So basically a guy like Heels, when he calls you to do something, like like he he piped up my wedding, he piped up my mom's funeral, he piped up my dad's 50th. Like this guy's like family to me. So, of course, when he calls, I'll do it. So anyways, he's been, you know, I think as a team here, we've been knocking out of the park since July. And uh, our goal is to support former players should they become, you know, um, you know, in transition from leaving the NHL game to the becoming alumni. Like, you know what the average age of the NHL, um, NHL is right now? Anybody take a guess at that? Hmm, I'm going to say uh, 29. I was going to no. put you at 28, I was going to say, yeah. You guys are both way off, 23 and a half. Wow. wow. Young so, man's game. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, during our, during my day in the NHL, yes, you guys would have been bang on, but now it's 23 and a half. Wow. So, you know, you're 24, you're on the back nine year career at, uh, you know, Hanover Golf Course. So <laughs> Every week. Um, so, no, it's, it's, it's become a different game now, and guys need to know better, more than ever, what they're going to do after the game. So, we're trying to help guys, um, you know, transition from the game. Um, honor the past is our new motto. So, you know, like honor the past is becoming like 28, 29-year-olds, which to me is not old. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, obviously the alumni, uh, you know, the, my experience with them, of course, uh, the the NHL alumni players had great fun with each other and the camaraderie that maybe they hadn't had for a long time not being in the NHL anymore you know that's that's a good thing for them and they go out and you know have fun with uh, the team they're playing and they let them get up you know eight to nothing and then suddenly it's uh, 12 to eight just like that and it's it's a lot of fun Uh, you know I'm I'm sure that's a, a good thing for them as well oh yeah yeah like anything to get these keep these guys current to me is a goal you know, like these guys, uh, you know, once they leave the game, they're used to dealing with the public every day, and then they leave the game, they kind of lose their way for a bit. And a lot of guys, you'd be amazed, don't make it onto their feet like big names. But, you know, these games, the NHL alumni games are huge for these guys because it keeps them current, keeps them out of the public, and gives them a, gives them a purpose in general. We had uh, Dennis Maruk on earlier this year. Yeah. And uh, someone who had a great NHL career, but he, he talks in his recent book that came out this past year about how he was just so unprepared for life after hockey. And uh, certainly the Alumni Association has been one step in him finding his way. Yeah, that's, yeah exactly. That's, a, that's an example of one guy that, 
Of course. I mean, I mean, that guy was a great player. And, you know, it, it happens. Like, the, even today's guys, like, that's, that's the unfortunate part about it is, maybe even now more than ever. Like, these guys are making big money, you know, so they live a big life, live in a big house, have a big car, and, you know, have three, four kids. And then all of a sudden, you know, God help it, should it end in an injury one day, and then, you know, they're not used to, how am I going to pay the bills now? Yeah. You know, even if you have a good career in real estate, you're not going to make, you know, two and a half, three million. That's that's incredible. Year in real estate, like, so it's it's a it's a big change for these guys. Well, Scott, you're doing a lot of fantastic work. Uh, your your career has been incredibly interesting, and uh, we're just out of time. But we really appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks a lot, guys, and uh, let's do this again soon. And uh, I'd like to say hi to all my friends and family up up in Bruce County, and. Uh, Thank you guys for having me on. Thanks so much for talking to us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. That's Okay, thanks. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good night. Yep, you too. It's Scott McKay, the former Leafs trader, and uh, doing so many interesting things in the hockey world with the, uh, with, uh, the NHL alumni and uh, charities and all kinds of great stuff. So we'll be back with more on Hockey Talk following the break right after this. Yeah, so Tampa's the most Canadian team left, really, in that regard. Got it. Welcome back to our final segment of this week's Hockey Talk. Uh, gentlemen, a, a great ch- chat there with Scott McKay. We, le- we learned an awful lot about him over the last week doing some research, and it was even more uh, sustaining to actually hear it from his side well, of it. it was great of him to spend 45 minutes with us. Uh, very busy, and uh, we appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Definitely and, a mover and shaker, that guy. All the stuff he's been a part of, organized, been on top of. That guy's... Yeah, I imagine the names in his cell phone are pretty interesting. Yeah, <laughs> and lengthy. <laughs> Like the uh, the guy could be a wedding. The guy could be the world's best wedding planner, probably just with his organizational skills. And I guess uh, we're down to four teams now in the NHL. And uh, Andy, uh, we we have a Twitter poll this week uh, talking about that very yeah. So we kicked off this Twitter poll uh, end of last week. So we were just entering uh, entering into uh, the divisional finals. uh, Sorry, the conference finals, uh, the final four. So as we were going into that, I asked who you got for the Stanley Cup now. And uh, I'll do it in reverse order that uh, Steve's uh, Tampa Bay uh, team had the least support there, 12%. I'm still on board with them. I still think they have a good shot. I definitely uh, I wouldn't count them out, especially after that last game where they're showing a lot of life uh, going in into Washington and taking a big one like that. Um, next one, actually, surprisingly, too, was Vegas. Only had 18%. Uh, 23% took the Washington Capitals. And a whopping 47% were behind the Winnipeg Jets. Mm-hmm. Of course, they just had their great uh, their Game 7 victory there. That might be partly behind that. Probably. And, and, of course, being that we're, we're, we're all Canadian and that's the only Canadian team left, that probably may be up that percentage a oh, little really? bit. Oh, really? What about uh, all those guys on the Tampa Bay Lightning that are Canadian? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Other than that. But I saw, the, I saw um, sorry, I, I saw the demographic on that this morning. I forget which... Uh, outlet put it out there but they actually uh said winnipeg jets has the highest percentage of americans yeah of any team I mean. left. it's just a misnomer of they're yeah. the only team located in canada but if you look in terms of canadian players they're actually at the bottom yeah i believe it was a tampa was uh number one they're was loaded number one. With yeah, canadians. So tampa's the most canadian team left really in that regard you got it it's kind of like they say uh it's los angeles if you count the number of canadians in los angeles it puts them at Canada's fourth or fifth largest city, right? right? Yeah, it's just wow. something amazing like that. So it would be, yeah, Tampa Bay is the last remaining Canadian team, yeah, if you yeah. want to look at it that way. So 
I guess now uh, the the OHL this week, uh, fi- uh, con- not the conference, the league, league finals final, uh, yeah. were uh, on, and uh, what a great what a great up. series! I mean, I got to I got to watch the final uh, game. I guess it was Game Six in right. uh, Hamilton there right. on on Saturday. I guess it was, and what a, what a great performance by both teams! And uh, that was, was that just, was a really good series. It was just yeah. a great series, and congratulations to both teams on on, a, on a great run. Let me let me just say this: um, I think. Congratulations to Hamilton Bulldogs. I think it was a surprising victory um, in a lot of ways for a team that I think a lot of people weren't necessarily picking as the favorites, um, even to come out of the East. They were one of the favorites. Uh, you know, there was Kingston and them and Barry um, were in the mix, but uh, good for them. I mean, they, they put their chips into the center of the table at the trade deadline. They'd made that move with the Flint Firebirds early on. Um, and, uh, you know, they had a real good plan and they executed their plan. But when you look at the Sioux Greyhounds guys, I mean, they might be the most disappointing team in the last 10 or 15 years in the OHL because this was a team that had the second best record in the last 25 years in the OHL, aside from the 0405 juggernaut London Knights. You know, they what did they lose, 15 games or whatever it was? Um, I think I'm, I'm a little bit shocked that they, first they stubbed their toe and barely got by the Owen Sound Attack, who we know were a good team. Then they get to the next round with the Kitchener Rangers, and they snuck through there. And then ultimately, um, I think those things came back to haunt them of just how difficult their previous rounds were. And the Hamilton Bulldogs, who were well-rested and uh, very healthy, uh, took full advantage of that. But I think we're going to look back you know, 10, 20 years ago from now and say that that Sioux Greyhounds team, very disappointing. And I mean, they they had a great run. I mean, Boris Kachuk and uh, Taylor Radish and company they put up a lot of points. They scored a lot of big goals, but I think by the end, like you said, Steve, by the end of it, they were just worn out, and uh, they just had nothing left. They had a lot of high energy, close overtime games, game seven and overtime against Kitchener. You know, they just ran out of steam. I think by the end, but I mean, you still got to give credit to the Hamilton Bulldogs. Oh no, I'm not taking any away yeah. from the Hamilton Bulldogs. And the other thing I'd say about the suit too is we know, you know, in the regular season, they had a great regular season, no question about it, but. You know, the playoffs, things tighten up, and it gets more difficult physically, but also their traveling uh, situation yeah. from where you come from with the Sioux. They have to fly to most places and uh, or, or drive a long way. And, you know, that can wear you down and take a toll. I think it's yeah. definitely a, a disadvantage for them. Maybe the Sudbury Wolves, certainly Saginaw at times, too. And, uh, you know, I think it's difficult. North Bay as well. You know, it's difficult. And, uh you know, I think just some market forces, you know, they had a couple of untimely injuries as well, and it just kind of all came to a perfect, unperfect storm, if you will. And when you think about it, that these are still high school kids, a lot of them, not mm-hmm. all of them. Some right. have graduated, but I was thinking of like a Zachary Trot, who at one time played for the Grey Bruce Highlanders. And I'm not sure if he's a 16-year-old this year or if a 17-year-old, but still, he's a young kid. And to right. have that intense, 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 long playoff schedule... That's kind of weird. Now, he's obviously not a main player for the Sioux Greyhounds. Right. But to use him as a representative example for some of those younger players, that's a pretty intense life. And as you say, when you add in the travel that the Sioux has to do, I have to say uh, I was pleasantly surprised when Owen Sound took them to seven games. I wasn't shocked because I've seen Owen Sound quite a bit, and I knew what they had there. I was, quite frankly, shocked that the Rangers took them to seven games. I thought the Rangers had a very good team. I didn't think they had one that was going to be competitive with the Sioux. One goal away. Yeah. yeah. And you know what I mean? We've talked about the Giovanni Smith thing where, you know, he got that suspension for, uh, you know, 
Could have been a difference maker, yeah. Tirade, and uh, yeah, he could have been the difference in the Kitchener Rangers would have advanced instead of the Sioux Greyhounds, but it didn't turn out to be that way. But uh, and if I'm not mistaken, that whole series actually the entire difference was one goal on the plus minus on it. It was, which is unbelievable when you think about it. So having saw saw that and having seen how well Hamilton dealt with really strong teams in Barrie and Kingston, you know, at that point I was starting to be a bit of a believer for Hamilton. I really thought they could. I wasn't counting the Sioux out, but I certainly knew that Hamilton had a shot, and they they, yeah, and they, they delivered. Took it. So and congrats to them. They will definitely re- represent the, the Ontario Hockey League well out west in the Memorial Cup next week. So yeah, I'm quite sure they will. Speaking yeah. of young players, too, we had Connor Roberts in studio here a few weeks yeah. ago, and he he obviously was traded away from Hamilton after being with them for two years. Right. And uh, you know, for him watching that, he's going to be really happy for his buddies. But I know he's probably in the pit of his stomach, going, "Oh my God, I missed out on a." you know, OHL championship, but I'm pretty sure that kid's going to get some opportunities to do some really cool stuff too. So I think you're right. And yeah. I think it starts at the NHL draft. So guys, of course the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs in our final segment here uh, named Kyle Dubas as their new general manager. Um, I think with maybe a little bit of mild surprise on my part, because I felt um, that they would probably go with Mark Hunter um, because Mark Hunter has a wealth more experience. He's a lot older, of course, as well. But, I mean, he, he is a, a bird dog of players. And But when you look at the NHL general manager job today, you don't get to do a lot of scouting and bird dogging for players, which is really the strength of Mark Hunter. And, uh, you know, if I'm a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, I'm hoping that Kyle Dubas and the Leafs brass can sell Mark Hunter on the fact that, uh, you know what, you're so darn good at what you do. We need you to be doing that and. You know, it's not a dis, a slight or disrespect um, that you didn't get this job. They have the resources to make it worth his while, too. So Mark I don't know game. if it's about money with him. I mean, yeah. he's obviously been the owner of the London Knights for a long time, which, may, you know, is a cash cow, and he's made a lot of money. I don't know if it's going to be a money thing. We'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah. And, I mean, and I mean, Kyle's a young guy. It's a, you know, it's a young world in the NHL these right. days, and maybe it'll work out in, in the least favor. Uh, he'll be able to see things that someone maybe up in their – 40s and 50s that you know may not have noticed you know they might see a, a deal that's worth doing that some of us just may have missed because of his age and I, closeness to the other players i kind of felt it was uh i don't know why i thought this but i thought that was their succession plan all along was for kyle dubas to take over um we live in a world where uh style means as much as substance sometimes and uh that's one thing i am a little worried about is uh he comes across as, as, you know, kind of intellectual and such, and that doesn't always fly well in the Toronto market. Like, oh, he's remember, a smart hockey guy. There's no yeah. question about that. Oh, but I'm not questioning his intelligence, but sometimes if you look smart, like for, for Ken Dryden, that didn't sit well with a lot of people right. when he was with the Leafs. So just image-wise, he might want to soften that a little bit. Let me put, let me put you know, just a devil's advocate on Kyle Dubas. And, you know, I'm sure Kyle Dubas will be successful, but... You know, when he was in the Ontario Hockey League, he was the general manager of the Sioux Greyhounds, and he was in his, you know, mid-20s at that time. And in three years, they won a grand total of one playoff round. He made probably the worst trade in the history of the Ontario Hockey League with the Windsor Spitfires, picking up Jack Campbell, their goalie at the time, for 12 draft picks. And, um, you know, it was like six seconds, three-thirds. I can't remember the whole gist of it. And then Jack Campbell came in and actually was awful, and they didn't even um, make it the playoffs. They were so bad and paid that kind of a price, thinking they were one of the contenders. And the other thing about that at the time is, and we didn't know this at the time, but hindsight's twenty twenty. So they, they brought Jack Campbell in because they felt 
you know, that they had a 16-year-old um, backup goalie that wasn't quite ready. And uh, that guy's turned out to be pretty good, uh, the starting goaltender of the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. Matt Murray. Matt Murray. Yeah, he's, well, he's pretty I, I, good. Yeah, we've, we've heard of his name yeah, a few times. Yeah, you might have heard of him. And, uh, yeah, so so they, what happened is Campbell was so bad, they ended up playing Murray a lot of the time anyway. So it didn't work out. But uh, So just the tender, you know, you learn from your experiences along the way. And I'm not saying that he's not going to be successful. My own self, personally, I would have felt more comfortable as a Leaf fan with uh, Mark Hunter in charge. Uh, that's just a personal feeling, uh, knowing both of the gents and knowing their work in the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, but that's being said, Kyle Dubas has done a bang-up job with the Toronto Marlies, and uh, you know, there's no taking that away from him. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens with Kyle Dubas. It should be interesting. Yeah, the Toronto Marlins having a good playoff run this year, too. Yeah, yeah so they're turning them right around. Yeah, they're headed for the conference finals in the Calder Cup now come, uh, I think, Friday that starts. So Yes, exactly. A busy week in the hockey world for us guys. So It is indeed. And, uh, Andy, I mean, uh, you've got a couple of weeks away. You, let's preview a guest that you have uh, that you've lined up. I think it's phenomenal. Yes, uh uh, I believe 10 or 11 year NHL uh, player with the Minnesota North Stars and his career was ended a bit early with some back injuries and then spun it into a great coaching career a little bit in the OHL with the Guelph Storm and uh, Sue Greyhounds Sue Greyhounds at one point but a long time head coach in the NHL with the Chicago Blackhawks and the Anaheim Ducks and the Ottawa Senators and finished up with the Columbus Blue Jackets as their associate, associate coach a couple coach, of years yeah. ago. So uh, for those of you that uh, know your hockey, you know I'm talking about Stratford native uh, Craig Hartsburg, who's uh, agreed to be on uh, and talk to us in two weeks, uh, May 30th episode. Should be a great one. Looking forward to that. And we will have more, of course, next week on Hockey Talk. But that's a wrap for another week, and we'll see you right back here in Hockey Talk next.